0: As a syndicator, this is the one I like to try to drive home to people. If you're not a leader, you're not going to be able to have these frank conversations. Can you fire an investor? Like, what what? And fire an investor? Yes. If you aren't fiercely protective over your partnership and you let the wrong personalities in, one person can tank your whole deal. Because they're going to rally everybody against you. They will be a pain in your ass. They will like be tapping you on the shoulder every two seconds. Why did you paint that wall purple? Why is the toilet not bone color instead of white? You have to be protective of that. If you start getting into some conversations with a person and you think, oh, yeah, I've got this deal. I'd like to show it to you. And then you get deeper into them and you figure, oh, dude, this is not a good fit. You have to fire them.
1: Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's guide to U.S. real estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's guide to U.S. real estate. Good, as always, to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, it's my job to explore, dissect, and interview the cream of the crop when it comes to real estate, business, and entrepreneurship here in the United States so you can all make the right investing decisions to create massive amounts of cash flow, which will hopefully lead to financial freedom and long-term wealth. As you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, and there's no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts but knowledge without action means you're just a fence sitter so be educated first and foremost tune tune into my podcast each and every week but you also got to go out and take massive amounts of action and hopefully my cracking guests on my show will inspire you to do so if you do like this show please give us a review on itunes and you can follow me on facebook and twitter by searching reed goosens one last thing before we dive into today's show. If you are listening through your ear holes via iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher, that's fantastic. But you can also find these shows up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link and it'll take you straight to the video recordings of these podcasts. You can see my ugly mug, but you can see the gorgeous faces of my guests. All right, guys, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Bruce Peterson. Bruce is a syndicator of large multifamily properties throughout Central Texas, totaling over 900 units. Bruce is a local and National Apartment Association award-winning operator. So really impressed to have him on the show today. But enough enemy. Let's get him out of here. G'day, Bruce. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? G'day mate. I'm doing great. I'm learning lots of cool words from you. Kraken. Kraken. Kraken, man. Kraken's <laughs> my cracking's my, my jam. I love it. It's, it's a, what's a cracking deal? What's, how you cracking? You know, it's a just, it's a word that I love to use all the time. So uh, how how are you cracking? <laughs> I'm cracking great, dude. i I'm, I'm I'm always I tell people all the time, look, if I wake up in the
0: morning and I'm not physically on fire every day's a good day, man. It could be worse. So yeah, it's a good day.
1: (laughs) Fantastic, man. Look, before we dive into the nuts and bolts of today's show, I always like to throw a bit of a doozy question at my guests. Uh, who is Bruce Peterson?
0: Well, I'm a 49 year old guy. Um, Came from a very modest background, right? I'm one of those guys that grew up very, very poor for a stretch. Uh, we live in government housing. Our monthly rent was 30 bucks. Wow. Um, came home from grocery shopping with my mom one day, when I was 13 years old. The testosterone stuff, trying to figure out who you are as a person, as a man, as a human being. And there's Toys for Tots sitting on my doorstep. And that's when I realized, oh shit, I'm poor. <laughs> I didn't realize it to that point because I, you know, I had a great mother. She, mm-hmm. I never knew, you know, mm-hmm. it was pretty obvious when you step back and look at it, but I didn't know we were poor until that day. But, you know, so it came from a very humble background, uh, barely got out of high school. Um, we didn't do the 4.0, 3.0 thing back then. We were doing like true number grades. You know, you're getting a, you graduated with a 72 average or 77. I got like a 72 average to squeak out of high school. Then I went to college because I'm, well, I'm supposed to go to college now, right? Well, that didn't work so well for me. I am not a student. I am not an academic, let's put it that way. I'm a lifelong learner. But college did not work for me. I'm a college dropout. I make a lot of money. That's not arrogance. It's just to say you don't need a formal education. And I'm proof of that. Most of the most successful people I know don't have a formal education. So I dropped out of, dropped out of college, got a job as a stockbroker, and uh, I was a guy that you would see like on the, the movie Boiler Room on uh, yep. Wall Street. I was that guy screaming at people on a phone that I didn't know. Uh, I hated that. I hated everything about that. Did well in it for about a year to a year and a half. But then we went to Desert Storm. The market seized up. And I'm pitching penny stocks is what I'm doing. Um, so I had to get out of it. And I was glad to go because, again, I hated it. It was just – it was disgusting. I felt dirty every freaking day. So I fell out of that and I went straight from six figures to I had to find a job. I wasn't making any money. I wasn't saving any of the money I was made. I was 23 years old. So I went to work for a bank, a local bank as a drive-to teller, drive-through teller making five bucks an hour, 20 hours a week. Wow. <laughs> that was an adjustment, right? <laughs> so then I've got a friend. He said, dude, I've got a way out of that for you. I, I can save you. I can rescue you. I'm like, oh, leave. Great. What, what do you have? his rescue was retail I'm like ah, okay yeah I can go do that I did that for 20 years Wow And then left finally uh, I was 42 I think maybe 43 years old I retired I lived way below my means you know I came from my upbringing I think and I made good money and I knew how to invest it because I used to be a stockbroker um, so at 43 years of age that last year of working I was working 100 110 hour weeks often hit a wall walked away from it so I'm now retired paid cash. For, I was a Dave Ramsey disciple back then, paid cash for the house, paid, paid cash for the car, Lived very cheaply. I didn't have a wife, didn't have a girlfriend, didn't have kids. It was just me. Called a buddy one day, said, hey man, let's go play golf. He's like, dude, I got to go to work. I'm like, oh damn, what did I just do to myself? I got 50 years of this crap. <laughs> so then I started looking around and I found a real estate mentor. And I'm telling you, dude, I've made some good money in my life. I've been successful in pretty much everything I've done. I've started three or four other companies. Nothing, nothing compares to this. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's still the easiest thing I've ever done, the most rational thing I've ever done, the most lucrative thing I've ever done, and by far the most fun and rewarding thing I've ever done. So, you know, again, we've won a couple of awards now for operating properties. Uh, we've done five or six deals now. Uh, we have our own management company. And, uh, so yeah, we're just having right.
1: a on enjoying life now. Mate, that's an incredible introduction. I think you've taken me through the soup to nuts, right? And, uh, oh, uh, that's uh oops. <laughs> no, 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 that's, this, this, that's incredible. I, I, I want to just, you know, talk a little bit about that upbringing and how that's made you into the person you are today, because I think that's really important uh, for a lot of people out there that, you know, uh, you know, myself included, I didn't come from. Great means I, I definitely wasn't in your boots but um you know I definitely was was getting my first job when I was 13 years of age or 12 years of age you know down a cafe like, hey can you give me can you give me seven bucks an hour or six bucks an hour so how, where, where, where how did you make your first dollar well I was that kid you know I've always had that gene in me
0: now I worked for other people for a long time but while I was working for other people I was always trying my own companies but you know I was a kid that had the the lemonade stand um, I had that all the time um, I remember we used to dig through dumpsters. I was a military kid, so on base we would go to the, the local nightclubs and dig through their dumpsters and get all their disgustingly filled with cigarette butts <laughs> and old, flat, hot beer. So we'd get the beer cans, you know, crush them, take 10, 20 bags of cans down. We were doing that. I was selling baseball cards, not to like a Gary Vaynerchuk level, but you know, I, was, <laughs> I, I always had a little grind going as a kid. I remember when I was, again, about 13, maybe 14 years old, I opened up the paper one day and I was reading through the business section. I don't know anything about business. I don't even really know what I'm reading, but there was an ad that caught my eye and it talked about interest rate on a savings account compounded. I was like, what does that mean? So I called the bank. I did. Whoever picked up the phone, they got to talk to this stupid 14 year old kid that just called them. said, Hey, I see your ad. What, how does this work? You know, I get 4% or 6% and how does? so it's always been in me my entire life and it was good to finally do this
1: full time. That's awesome, man. And hey, I tell you what, the bank teller would have had a pretty, pretty big shock when you have 14 year old kids. Like, shouldn't you be in school? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so mate, walk us through that, you know, the, the retail part of your life. You, you briefly touched on it. What were you doing in the retail section to make you retire at 40 years of age? That's incredible.
0: Well, a lot of people don't realize that retail pays pretty well Um, once you kind of climb the ladder a little bit. It's, uh, so I started, you know, my first job was HEB, which is a local grocery store. Um, I was a bagger, then I got moved up to cashier, then I kind of pulled out of retail for a long time, and then I came back at about 23, 24 years old. I came in as a department supervisor for a big box chain retailer, and uh, over that 18 year span, I progressed, you know, I was running stores for these major retailers, um, you know, like uh, Best Buy, Bed Bath & Beyond was the last job I had as a store manager in retail. Um, I like to tell the story now, anybody out there listening that knows me, you may differ with this, but this is exactly what happened that, you know, I was kind of on the short list. I was probably the next to be given my own district, um, or on the very, very, very short list. And that's what I was getting from my boss. But again, I hit a wall. Um, I was a store manager for years and 100, 110 hour weeks, I was done. I, I just couldn't keep doing it. I was killing myself. I'm five foot nine Back then, I was 240 pounds. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a wife, didn't have a girlfriend. Had no, How do you have a life working 110 hour weeks? So, I had to quit to not kill myself. So, I packed up all my crap in a car, put all my stuff in uh, that was left that wouldn't fit in a car in a storage unit and drove around the eastern half of the U.S. for a month to a month and a half. By myself, just trying to clear my head, figure out, okay, I just kind of grew up overnight. I got to figure out what I want to do as an adult now. So, yeah, and I found real estate. Yay!
1: <laughs> well, mate, that's the whole point of this show. But we do—I do love talking to my guests about making, understanding what makes them tick, where they've come from, because that journey is really, really important for every single person who gets involved in real estate. No one just wakes up and think, I'm going to be involved in real estate, and I know exactly what it means, and I'm going to make create all this amount, of, you know, wealth and long-term, you know, cash flow and blah blah blah. So, talk to me now. You—you you, you quit you you've come from modest upbringing, you you, have, you, you fell out of university, um, you, you were in uh, the, the retail sector for a long period of time, you're, you're 40-ish years of age, you stumble across real estate. Tell me about that first conversation where someone was like, you, sorry, you were like, aha, I get this, I understand what's going on and I need to now devote the rest of my life to, you know, building my portfolio. Well, so...
0: I didn't know anything about real estate. I knew that eh, maybe that's a good thing to look into because you keep hearing about it. Everybody's Mm -hmm. doing well. So I started asking all my friends, many of my friends were, um, residential real estate agents. Like, do you know anybody that can teach me how to invest in real estate? No, nobody knew anybody. I said, look, I'll pay them. I'll pay somebody to kind of mentor me through this process. I'll pay people. Nobody knew anybody. So I just sat down at the computer one day and I typed in, uh, What did I type in real estate mentor, central Texas, you know, my local market. And, you know, a few people came up, I started digging through some of those results and I found a group that taught me exactly how to do it. Now I paid for that education, but they taught me exactly how to do what I do now. Um, So that's kind of how I found it. I bought my first property in 2012, a 48 unit property. And again, you know, it, it's just been the best thing I've ever done. That first property I sold after two years and four months with fourteen other partners, and we made a roughly three hundred percent in two years and four wow. months. So, wow! So I mean, how, how do you not buy into
1: this and you know go all in? That's incredible. So with this first deal, was it a were you leading it? Um, you said you had some other investors in there, or is it just more get you know, get your feet wet involved in some syndication?
0: Well, I've always been a syndicator, even that very first deal with no experience, no track record, nothing, I was a syndicator. So that first deal, 48 units, I bought it for 1.6 million, I had to raise about 575. I put 115000 of my own dollars into that first deal, so I had 20% of the deal. And then I went out and raised the rest of the money by just networking with people. Uh, I put together a group that we met at a local Starbucks every Wednesday um you know there was just me and one other guy at the beginning but now that thing is still going strong six years later seven years later that mailing list is now three four hundred people now we 40 to 40 each time we do it but that's where my first group of investors came from we got to know each other on a very deeply personal level we would party together we would poke together we would barbecue together and they got to where they knew and liked and trusted me so they were willing to, you know, take a chance on a guy with no track record and, and it worked out spectacularly well for us.
1: So did you do that uh, meetup group at Starbucks prior to having that deal under contract?
0: Oh, absolutely. Probably okay. months before I had, well, six months before contract and about 12, but nine months before closed.
1: So did you know to do that? Or was it just like, hey, I needed to create this platform for other like-minded individuals. You know, did anyone tell you to go out and do that or you just sort of no. screw it? I'm going to do it. Yeah, nobody
0: told me what it was. There was another guy that joined that lived kind of close to me. He joined that same group that taught us how to do it, but their office locally was in San Antonio. We live in Austin. I'm retired. He's not. So I thought, you know what? I go to all the events in San Antonio once or twice a week sometimes. I can bring back knowledge that I learned to VJ, my friend. And so just the two of us got together. And as we would get out and meet people and interact with other people, we would tell people that, oh, you know, hey, if you're interested in Austin, we just—it's just two of us—we get together, we shoot the shit about real estate. What are we learning? What are we hearing? And that just grew and grew. We outgrew Starbucks by a lot. Um, we were not very welcome there before because <laughs> we took over the entire new place. But uh, yeah, that's all it was. It was just, it was a need. You know, I felt the need to be engaged. I didn't want to learn stuff, right? You hear this from everybody. I didn't want to learn stuff and then not be surrounded with like-minded people that were positive and upbeat about what they were doing because I would lose steam. And I knew that. So I had to find a way to keep engaged and I got to keep VJ engaged. And yeah, it's just something we felt we needed to do.
1: That's so, it's so awesome because a lot of people probably listening out here don't understand the power of creating that platform, right? To help you create that, 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 that email list, the three, 400 email list. And I'm going to dive a little bit more into that because I really do like this topic. Um, from a, from a process standpoint, you just did it right. You said, you said, fuck it. Like, let's just go yeah. out and do it. And, 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 but you knew it was a means to an end to get you that what's the worst thing that can happen. We start this thing, it fails. Okay. So what? I met some a handful of people, it failed. But now looking back, you would have thought, geez, that's what like what a great thing to have done just to get me on this journey to have the network to then go and raise, you know, what'd you say, a million bucks for your first deal.
0: Right. And see, and that's the thing. It's just get off your ass. You know, everybody, yep. a lot of my friends are engineer brains, right? They're B personality, spreadsheet that's jockeys. Me. That's me. Well, <laughs> I've got that, but I've got enough A. At some point, you gotta get out of your fucking spreadsheet. You gotta go do it. Like you said, what's the worst that's going to happen? It's not going to make me live under a bridge if I don't have this thing work out. Just go out and start doing stuff. Get hyper, Grant Cardone, right? Hyperactive. Get out there and just do stuff. Some things are going to work. Some things are not going to work. But do you just want to stay stagnant your whole life? Go to a job you hate? I've got friends that are nauseated to go to their jobs. And one guy, it very well may cost him his family. Wow. But he can't break away emotionally. He's scared. You know, I get people, oh, but I need insurance. Fuck you. Come on. You need have insurance. Have you read the
1: 4-Hour Workweek? He, he, he lays it out for you. How to do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, mate, but I, I, I love it. And, and I love the fact that you backed yourself. I think that's the biggest thing. And that's what people struggle with is backing themselves, right? They, you, your buddy who's, who's going to, you know, maybe, you know, hope he doesn't lose his family, but he, he's afraid to back himself. And, and that's, it, it, takes, it takes one step in the right direction. And it's not about taking the, the, the 20 steps to get to your goal. It's about taking one. And that one step may be just starting a meetup group. It might be just picking up the phone and you know calling someone who knows a little bit about real estate or about business investing and just saying, look, you know what? I need some help. I need, I need to understand. You ask the people, you, you're calling brokers to say, hey, who can teach me? I'm gonna pay them. And it took you a little while to find it, but you finally you know, you found, you found your tribe. So So awesome stuff. Um, now, tell me, you've you, you you now scaled this thing. It's, it's now sounds like, well, I'm going to let you explain, but where has it come from since 2012, between 2012 and 2017? What have you created? And I want to learn a little bit more about that.
0: All right, so 2012 is when I bought my first one, sold it at the beginning of 2015. So two years and four months later, I sold it. Um, I took a break from working on real estate and I started teaching others. The, the, t- the company that taught me, I went back and I started giving back. You know, they paid me a little salary. It wasn't about the salary. though. I got to give back. I got to help other people that were learning the journey and I could help teach them my journey. So I did that for about a year to a year and a half. So I put all my stuff on hold. So then I came out of that um, probably around the same time as I sold that first property, I'm thinking maybe 2015, and then I started concentrating on my own stuff. So I bought 120 unit in North Austin in December of 2015, I bought a 256 unit in San Antonio in August of 2016, and then this year so far I bought a 192 in Austin uh, in May. And we just closed on a 292 unit two weeks ago in San Antonio. So okay. yeah, it it. pretty quickly. If it, again, you, you got a network, right? You have to be able to raise capital. You have to have a personality that people like and trust. But yeah, I mean you get to the bigger and bigger and bigger, you get the easier and the easier this stuff gets that 48 unit property. I had part-time staff. It's hard to find part-time. So, Oh yeah. I want to work for you, Mr. Peterson for, uh, part-time. No, you don't. You can't find a full-time job. (laughs) When you do find a full-time job, your ass is gone. So it's continual turnover. You get to a 300-unit property like we are now. My God, I've got seven, eight people running around a property. Right. Well, again, it becomes easier. We've got corporate staff now. We've got an ops director. We're hiring a bookkeeper. So the bigger this gets, counterintuitively, it gets tremendously easier. And we're even a a partner at a 250-unit in Bryan. So we're involved in a little over about 1,100 units right now.
1: Fantastic. That's that's really incredible. Um, the 120, 120 unit in Austin, that would have been a bloody uh, a good little good little catch. Like Austin is just on fire. And so two years ago, was it what, Class C, Class B? What did you pick up?
0: It's probably a C minus in a okay. very C minus to D neighborhood. But, uh, no, we've done fantastically well with that. You know, within the first 12 months, we raised rents about – 200 to $225 a unit. Wow. Um, so yeah, we've done well with that. So we bought 192 unit right around the corner from that property a few months back. We're doing really, really well with that. So yeah, Austin's been crazy good for us. A lot of people think, Oh, Austin's too expensive. Well, it's expensive because the rents are higher. You know, mm-hmm. it's a correlation. The higher the rents are, the more the property's going to cost you. So in a really kind of working class kind of rougher neighborhood, I just spent a hundred thousand dollars a door in Austin and San Antonio, a tremendously better property in a much better neighborhood. I pay 80 a door for, but they right. will have the same return roughly.
1: Right, right. And that's interesting you say that because it, let's dive a little bit more into that. So paying $100,000 a door, I take it, your entry cap is obviously a lot lower, right? Than right. You know, Because because you your NOI. But- what do you like to, do you like to look at like year two cap rate or year three cap rate once you're stabilized to know that, okay, this is where I'm going to get to. I might be picking it up at a five or a five and a quarter, but I know that in the next two years, I'm going to increase that NOI to a stabilized NOI. It's going to be closer to six or six and a half. And that, that gives me, that helps me, it helps sell the, you know, get investors excited about the deal. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So
0: a couple of things. First of all, I'm still sourcing deals at six to six and a quarter all day long. Okay. Right. Uh, That turns into a seven to a 9% cash in cash return for my investors, but I'm buying stabilized assets. So I'm not buying a lot of turnaround projects. Um, Most of them have been picked over in this, in this this market. So, you know, my entry cap is going to be about a six to a Mm 6.25. I'm, you know, (sighs) I'm starting to hedge or you know, go away from assuming two, three, four years down the road, it's going to be the same six, six and a quarter cap. I can't assume that, right? They're going to regress or they're going to rise back to, to historical average, I'm sure. So what I do with all my investors now, say, look, this is not a candidate for a cash out refi or a supplemental loan where I can return 100% of your money, still on the property, still cash flow, right? That's what we're all trying to do. Right. But when I'm buying stabilized assets and I assume the cap rates are going to start raising, you know, rising within the next one to three years, probably, we're buying things for cash flow and that's it. If we right. do have this big bump on the back end with some kind of a capital event where we sell, that's great. But I just tell all of them up front, this is not a good candidate for a ten thirty one exchange, and this is probably not gonna be suitable for a cash out repot. But I'm right. totally totally transparent about that stuff.
1: Right, right, right. And, and if it happens, it's a, it's a bit of a bonus and extra juice, right? Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Cool, man. So tell me about your, your, your systems you set up now. You've got so many units. You're, you've got your own in-house property management. That's incredible. What else have you brought in-house that has started to help you create the, the, the machine that is you know, you know, your company and, and help you become more efficient and then obviously reduce expenses to help the, the bottom line, right? To help your investors return.
0: Right. So some of it just comes with the scale, right? So the more and more people we have, the cheaper and cheaper insurance gets. Mm -hmm. Um, We, on our right after we bought our second property, that's when we brought in our first corporate employee. You know, we've got an ops director. He is my guy behind the scenes, right? He is the wizard behind the curtain that he's working on contracts, uh, renegotiating, rebidding things, process, procedure, systemizing things. He's made a massive difference in our world, huge, because he's taken a lot of the tedium off of our plates and my wife. My wife is a real estate CPA with a a background in um, tax returns and audits of apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. So uh, I met her in real estate. You know the funny thing is, you know, I tell everybody that I immediately dropped on one knee and said, "Come on, you got to marry me, right? This is too perfect." But we got married, you know, a couple of years after I, I proposed to her in front of a room of 200 people. So that was wow. Cool. Um, but so she is the bookkeeper side of it. We're interviewing a bookkeeper right now that will take all that off of her show, off of her plate. I still work in the role of regional manager, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm still the one walking around to every property once or twice a month uh, checking in with them big picture stuff leading the team on our next property that will be the next hire is that person um, but it, it's just all the specialization that you get the bigger you get uh, that just changes your life completely
1: i was I was saying to my partner the other day i'm I get excited about the the other legs on the table and, and I think of my investing company let's call it as, as 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 a table one leg is acquisitions i love acquiring deals it's great it's fantastic i love it but you're not always going to be acquiring deals right you, you, right. you know in five ten years time it might not happen but having other legs like where you could go and be you know, your volume's so large you could go direct to china and start bringing in you know plumbing fixtures and you know different things to fit out your thousand units that you own that's a business in itself uh and it's just this ecosystem that grows around the portfolio, how are you looking forward to, you know, in the next three to four years to build that? If you are thinking of building that out or what systems are you doing to help that ecosystem to make your overall company more stable? Well, so,
0: you know, a key part of that is we just kind of start I started a construction company I'm dealing with GCs that very often are completely unreliable. I've had one actually tell me to my face, well, he missed his deadline by three times over. And I talked to him at the end on the final walkthrough and I said, okay, look, let's have a conversation. One of two things happened. Either you lied to me or you're completely incompetent. Which was it? And he goes, honestly, he said, I lied to you. I said, why the fuck did you lie to me? He said, because if I didn't lie to you and give you an unrealistic timeline, I would have never gotten your job because everybody's lying. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, thank you. I never used him again. Right. So it's just hard to get good GCs that will actually hit their deadlines, hit their budgets. Well, I've never had a budget problem, right? I protect myself on that stuff. But I thought, you know what, I can bring this in-house, create my own construction company. Now I'm in charge of everything from beginning to end. And instead of paying a GC anywhere from 20 to 30% overhead, I will only charge 15% because I'm still doing the work that the GCs are doing. So I need to be compensated for that. But now I can save my partnership you know, on a million dollar rehab, instead of say 30%, I'm gonna charge 15%. You know, that's a massive savings for my partnership. So that's kind of one of the things that's kind of opened up for us. Um, at some point when we get to, you know, four or five, 6,000 units, um, I want to hire a CEO for this company. I really do, you know, go off and do the next thing. I love everything about real estate, but I want to own a baseball team. <laughs> right? I want to own a double A or a triple A baseball team. So this is kind of a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever walk away from it because we love, love it so much, but you know, I've got other things. So we will bring other people in, you know, I've got a saying. you know, you, you have to let go to grow or to grow. You have to let go. Right. Because I've had so many people that are trying to do what I do, but they can't let go. Right. Well, they're not going to do it as good as me. Okay. Understand it's your company. It's your business. They're never going to care as much as you Understand ever, ever. It, accept it. But you have to find somebody that's at least competent enough to, to run a good organization for you. Mm-hmm. They may not have checked the box the way you would have checked that fucking box, but you know what? <laughs> you gotta let go or you're gonna get stuck, right? You're self-employed at that point, and you mm-hmm. can't grow an organization that way. So you know, I I believe firmly you gotta hire people smarter than you in respective disciplines self aware right I know exactly what my strengths are. I'm really good at the forward facing uh with the investors, the networking and uh the acquisitions, all the monotonous stuff, the stuff behind the uh, curtain
1: I- I'm not good at that stuff, so I hire smarter people than me and let them do their job right. Right. No, I, I think you've hit on some great points. And the f- first one I, I, I want to hit on, I've got a lot of experience in ground up construction. It's the dance, isn't it? They they are, they, are under, <laughs> they under the uh, under over promise and under deliver. It's always a dance. He, he, I think your GC is inc- incredibly correct that he wouldn't have got your business if he hadn't quoted you an unrealistic timeline. Right, and then just and then just kept pushing it and kept pushing it and kept pushing it. But still, all the all the all the while having his hand out for extra GCs and general conditions. Right, and, and general requirements. So uh, it, it's all about. We won't get. It's a whole another show about construction management. But it's interesting that you you you've had those those pain points, and now you're bringing it in house. Um, on the other hand, that the letting go to grow. I think that's really important because a lot of people, even myself included, I'm an engineer. I, I you know I know that someone can't do it as good as I can. However, if they can get it to ninety percent, and I can just got to take it that extra ten percent that's 90% of my time is freed up to do something else like acquisitions or, or go out and have a dinner with a, with an investor. So that's, that's, that's how I think of it. And, and other people, you know, I definitely pick up mistakes of my employees, but all my, 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 my virtual assistants that I've got, but, but they've done such great job. They've taken it so far that I don't need to deal with all the monotonous crap and I can just come and tweak it at the end. And okay, this is a good decision. Let's move forward. So biggest piece of advice you could give to someone, who is getting started in the syndication business? They want to get started to be you, right? To be Bruce, to be to be the man. I don't know he wants to be you. <laughs> you want to own a baseball team, man? How do they? How, how? What is your biggest piece of advice? You know, it's something we hit on earlier. You just gotta move. Quit over
0: analyzing everything. There's never gonna be a perfect deal. There's never gonna be a perfect time. That first deal I bought I made 300% on, I honest to God thought it was fully stabilized and it was just gonna return a nice stream of cash flow each year, and that was it. Well, that base hit that I thought I got turned into a home run. If I hadn't taken the base hit that had a little bit of wart here and there and some hair on it, I would have never had that happen. You've got to get out of your own way. That's the biggest thing. People are in their own way; they're their own worst enemy. They they uh, torpedo all their best ideas because it's got to be perfect, or it's not. again that spreadsheet person. You know, I've got a lot of engineer friends. They have to contingency plan everything. Now, in that world, okay, you know, I got contingency plan everything because if I don't, somebody could literally burn up. Right? That's not going to happen here. Right? So you can't have a contingency for everything. You have to trust your competence. But now, having said that. Not everybody can do what we do. Right? They can't. A lot of people hear people like us talk and go, "Hell, I can do that. I understand spreadsheets and formulas. I know what NOI is and how to get." It. Yeah, dude. There's so much more to it than that. Can you hire and fire people if you're mm-hmm. going to self manage? Even if you're not going to self manage, can you hire and fire a management company? Can you hold them accountable? As a syndicator, this is the one I like to try to drive home to people. If you're not a leader you're not gonna be able to have these frank conversations. Can you fire an investor? Like, what, what, and fire an investor? Yes, if you aren't fiercely protective over your partnership and you let the wrong personalities in, one person can tank your whole deal because they're gonna rally everybody against you, they will be a pain in your ass, they will like be tapping you on the shoulder every two seconds, why did you paint that wall purple? Why is the toilet not bone color instead of white? You have to be protective of that. If you start getting into some conversations with a person and you think, oh, yeah, I've got this deal. I'd like to show it to you. And then you get deeper into them and you figure, oh, dude, this is not a good fit. You have to fire. them. You have to look. This is not a good fit. I'm so sorry. There are plenty of deals out there. I can, you know, teach, you know, introduce you to other people. This is not going to work for the two of us. So you got to let them go.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's it's really important um, to to make sure it's a two way street, right? When everyone gets started, they love they love to hear that. Oh, I'm I'm potentially going to invest fifty k or a hundred thousand dollars. You know, everyone every first indicator is like, wow, yes, I've got my first. But as you said, you, it's a two way. It needs to be a two way street. You need it's the two sides of every coin, and you need to just make sure that you know you can work together. Um, so I, I I completely hear you. Uh, on that. If someone is asking you about that, I, I will add that, yeah, they definitely, they shouldn't, if they're an investor and they're an LP investor and they're worrying about the color of the toilet, then they have, they got, they've got too much time in their hands.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's a courtship, right? You're dating. They got to like right. and trust you, but I got to like and trust you just like they have to like and trust me. And if I can feel that they don't like and trust me, you know, they don't get to invest, mm-hmm. right? If I don't mm-hmm. like and trust them, of course that's a no brainer. But if I like them, but I don't think they like me, I got to have that frank, professional, tactful conversation that, you know, man, this is not a good fit and it's got to move on.
1: Yep. I can, I can I completely agree. And at the end of the day, you're the syndicator, right? They're investing in you because you know what you're doing, right? And it's your, your, it's your role and it's your business to make sure you instill confidence in your investors that they like, you know, Hey, what Bruce has got his, he's got his shit together and he's going to crush it, you know? And that's, that's all you got to do at the end of the day, right? And, and, right. and, and cr- crushing it, you know, you know, but but he's going to do a really good job, and he's going to bend over backwards and work hard for me, and he'll work hard for my dollars.
0: Right, so. and all that's covered in all of our documents: our private placement memorandum, our operating, our company agreement. It's all spelled out as to you know as to what they have a say in, which is kind of nothing, mm-hmm. right? To your point, look, if you want to be involved like that, we'll go do your own deal. Right, you're investing with me because of my track record, my experience, but also because you just don't want to deal with the day to day. So don't start trying to interject the day-to-day, right? That's not your role. You have no say in operations at all, which is not harsh. Go invest in a wreath and try to tell them what color, you know, put a toilet (laughs) in, you know, it just doesn't (laughs) happen, right? We all get to where we're pretty good friends, but yeah, you know, I got to know my role. They have to know their role.
1: hundred percent. hundred percent agree. Bruce, man, I want to be conscious of your time, but I do like asking my investors and my guests on my show to give me their top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? I am. All right, mate. What's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals?
0: First thing I wake up. I'm not a super early riser, but I'm usually at my seven or seven thirty. I get a cup of coffee, and then I come straight into the office. My uh, office out of the home part of the time, and uh, I start going over emails from that have come in over the over the evening. Check up on all my social stuff, and then I'll check in on every property's PNL. I, I look at it every single day. Wow. Try to look at, you know, what kind of move outs, what kind of move ins, um, that kind of stuff. Just keeping a, a big picture eye on everything. And then I try to have like one very uplifting, uh, reaffirming podcast that I listen to. I try to get all that stuff knocked up by nine or 10 o'clock in the morning and then I'm out. Then I'm out visiting a property or you mentioned this before. A big part of my day is. I'm meeting with other investors. I'm meeting with other people trying to do what I'm doing, right? right. I give to people all the time because I do believe in karma to a degree that it'll come back to me. I don't need money from all 100%. these things. It's just, I want to get out and share information. So that's what, you do walk block other deals. So I'm always out there doing that stuff for the rest of the day
1: love it love it man um with you reviewing your pnl are you getting live updates from your property management or what are you what are you looking at to to, to look at the, the that sort of stuff That sort of lot, uh, we
0: we self-manage we don't oh ah, that's
1: right yep company, so i have complete visibility i
0: can touch and fix everything i'm an ad- admin within the software so it's not just my wife hmm so i have admin capabilities and i know accounting so yeah uh, if I'm gonna make a change, I always go to my wife to make sure I don't screw it all up. But, uh, but yeah, I'm always looking at that stuff because I like you know the B personality engineer brain in me, I'm always data mining. Mm-hmm. Why can't we do this cheaper? Why can't we make more money? Why don't we offer that new revenue stream that I know people are willing to pay for? Right. That's what I'm doing.
1: Great, love it, love it. Mate, who is the most influential person in your career to date?
0: Oh huh. Well, there's, there's a friend here. His name is Terry, probably honestly him. We, we have a different approach to this. We really do. He's more of a control enthusiast as I like to joke with him about. Um, but he's kind of the guy he's, you know, he's not part of the group that taught me how to do that, but he was one that went to that group to learn himself and he's in Austin. So we would go have lunch quite often. Um, so I got a lot of knowledge from him. He was very giving of his time. Super great guy. He's also a multiple award winner within this space. So, you know, I, I would say Terry, uh, I'd say my parents, of course, that's the the easy answer, but you know, they had nothing to do with what I'm doing now. Uh, they, they what I tell people is they mentored me on how to not end up dead, right? right. I'm alive. <laughs> I'm a good person, but you know, they didn't teach me anything in business. So as it pertains to business, yeah, that probably, probably my friend Terry.
1: Nice man, nice. Uh, before we do dive into that last, uh, second last question, I want to just quickly touch on your your, your awards, man, and congratulations. What do you? When, when did you get them? What'd you do? How'd you get them? All that sort of stuff. Just been it's been awesome, or what? <laughs> is, you know, no, it's all my wife. The awesomeness <laughs> comes from my wife. Um, but no, so in 2016, for the 120
0: unit property in Austin that we bought, what we, we love to have community building exercises and events. Like mm-hmm. if they feel part of a community, not just a a number in a complex they're less likely to leave right we all know you're going to make more money if they don't leave having people leave is very expensive so what we did the first year we owned this new property uh, in Austin we uh, reached out to all the area elementaries and middle schools said what are your uh, school supply lists for this upcoming year and we got it from everybody it's broken down by grade on this 120-unit property, we have 83 children that live there. What we did is we took these lists, and we went out and bought one backpack for every child on the property. i want to tear up if I'm not careful because this, <laughs> this is the good stuff for me. It really right, is. Right, right, right. And then we got every single last, even down to the wet wipes or you know, all that stuff, the mm-hmm. Purell that they all want now. We bought all that stuff, and we put it in a bag per, uh, by grade, and we set up in a vacant unit. They walked in the front. We had pizza there for them, so they'd stop and get some pizza for them and their family. Then they go to the first table. The first table was the little kid, the littlest kids got first pick of their backpack. So we had a right. boy theme, we had girl theme. The little girls, the little boys, they would just be lit up. The biggest smile in the world, because they have their own little backpack now. Then they walk into the other room, and my 20-year-old autistic daughter is in the other room giving. Sorry. It's all right. Keep Uh, coming. Giving out stuff to these little kids, you know, what grade are you in? And they would tell them and she would hand it to them. So now my autistic daughter's involved and she's having a blast. She's got a big Mm -hmm. smile on her face. They get their stuff. They walk out. And the big thing for us is not just, it was fun to do. Many of these people in these very working class neighborhoods, they cannot afford this stuff. It's 20 to 25 bucks. They don't have that money. Right. So. Uh, we had one teacher come up to uh, my wife and daughter one time. We went and wiped out every backpack off the shelf at Walmart. She goes, you're obviously doing something here. And they explained <laughs> what they were doing. And she teared up. She said, this is huge because when you don't do things like this, people don't do I do it because these right. kids come into my class. They don't have their stuff. They're embarrassed. They're behind everybody else because they don't have the stuff. So it comes out of my pocket. I don't make a lot of money. So that right there, that went very far in getting us independent rental owner of the year for Austin for 2016. And then that and other things, you know, the profitability of the property, the condition of the property, we also won the national apartment associations, independent rental owner of the year. So they told us, basically, we were the best at what we did uh, in the nation. So that
1: was crazy rewarding. That's awesome, dude. That's honestly big pat on the back. And I think, Doing those little things, any people who are listening to this, take note of this because a big part of what people look at the profit, people look at you, you're talking about the, the, the B part of the brain, they look at the underwriting, how you're going to do this, what's the revenue stream, blah, blah, it's all important, it's all very, very important. But having a community and as you said, having a, uh, a person who wants to live there longer, who's going to take better care of your unit, you're not going to trash the crap out of it right. and they're going to spread the word you know, you're gonna have a, a, a lineup who wants to who want to move in there, right? So it's just, it all helps. It all helps. So it's well done. Right, and it doesn't have to be that big a deal. You know, uh, on our one
0: of our really nice properties in San Antonio, uh, last month, we had a huge bash. We had food trucks come out. We had a DJ. We had a photo booth. Uh, we had 130 to 150 of the residents come out and, and take part in that. So they had a ball. But, you know, the, the, the marketing brain in me We parked the food trucks in front, not in on the property, but out in front. So as everybody drives around this, this neighborhood is full of apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. There's probably 10 apartment complexes within a half mile of me, but now all the other residents saw, look how much fun they're having. My guys don't do this for me at this property. So we seized upon that too. So now we've got a lot of word
1: spreading around. Fantastic. That's awesome. I think that's, uh, we'll be definitely doing that on our next 192 unit. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what, what, has, is, what has been the biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from that failure? Biggest. Fa- oh, okay.
0: Well, okay. You said career. Uh, I, I'm going to go a different direction. It's not this career. It was in a career, right? I'm in yep. central Texas, right. uh, the oil boom, right? Mm-hmm. That hit, you know, the first half of the, uh, of, of this decade, it blew up in South Texas. So I thought, Oh, I'm brilliant. I can make money on this too. So I started an oil services company. And so what we would do is myself and my partner, we had equipment that we would lease out to all these different well sites, uh, light towers, like you see on the side of a highway yeah. when they are doing work at night, yeah. uh, generators, forklifts, man tents. I mean, uh, uh, trailers for the like a guard shack, all that stuff. We would provide that stuff to them, but we would also service it. Now they can go to all these different rental companies and just rent it, and grab it, and take it over and use it, and then take it back when you're done. Well, we would actually get deliver it delivered to you, remove it when you're done with it. We would service it while it was out there. We would keep it filled with gas ourselves. We would do. So we were doing that. We were doing really, really, really well. And then OPEC and the Saudis apparently decided to try to tank us, right, mm-hmm. as a nation and That all dried up, so we lost $400,000 in the oil industry. That was my biggest failure. Um, And and, and I don't mean to sound flippant or arrogant about this, but we've not had a failure in multifamily. We really haven't. I'm not saying we won't, right? You can have a failure in any and everything you do. Um, This is probably the safest industry I've found, but things can still happen in this industry, but so far, so good. You know, we're very good at what we do. We haven't had those, those stumbles, but that one in the oil industry, you know, it's part of that pick yourself back up, keep moving. Then we went into real estate and we,
1: we've done really well. Nice, man. Well, let's look that's a really important thing that you moved on you're back on the horse you understood your failures and, and you're able to look at risk in a different way probably you know moving into into real estate and multifamily into a, into a sector that maybe doesn't have as much uh, impact from outside outside our uh, forces so so well done look mate I want to wrap up the show by thanking you so much but the last question I do have for you is where can people reach you if they want to learn a little bit more about you they want to check out your website they want to maybe come to one of your awesome food truck events you know one of your properties <laughs> you <know>? that's <laughs> for <from> my <laughs> residents move on site any of them.
0: um all right so uh my email bruce at apt-guy.com so it's bruce at apartmentguy.com um we're revamping our uh my website the apartmentguy.com website so that's not up and running right now but that will be apartment-guy.com uh, mm-hmm. but it's down for for rehab i guess you'd say um, and then we have our own podcast, uh, me and a buddy, uh, we've started our own podcast and so you can find that one at apartmentinvestorpodcast.com. Uh, we had our, uh, our second episode aired today. Uh, it uploaded to iTunes and we're doing kind of a lot of what you're doing. We're actually trying to give nut and bolt advice and actionable things. This is how we do what we do. This is how we find it. This is how we negotiate it. This is how we keep expenses in check. This is how we raise revenues. So we go into everything as far as exactly how we do what we do.
1: Oh, man, that's, that's awesome. I think um, that you do, you're on a really great path towards creating a, a great ecosystem outside of your business to keep attracting more and more people to what you do. You're, you're, you seem like a really awesome down-to-earth guy. So, and I appreciate you for coming on the show today. Thanks for dropping by and we'll enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon, yeah? Man, thank you so much for having me on. This was a blast. My pleasure. I think the biggest, three biggest things, the biggest takeaways that I got away from today's show was you're going to let go to grow, quit overanalyzing and get out of your own way. So if you do have any questions for Bruce, remember, please jump on my website at reedgoosens.com forward slash podcast, where all the show notes will be. And I thank you again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your investing IQ, because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember happy investing.